everyone. I'm Alexa. And I'm Catherine. And we're the girls behind Tickets, Please. And today we're talking all about the Queen's Gambit. But before we get into that, we have a lot to say about the latest Grey's episode. So, you watched it, huh? I did. And? The acting is so bad. Yeah. The writing is so bad. I, I don't... I don't know if the acting has always been bad and somehow I didn't notice it until they're all wearing those stupid things in their heads, but the writing is so bad. You know what it is? It, what? It feels like a parody. Yes. Yeah, it, it does. It feels like SNL is doing a parody of, of Grey's covering COVID. People make jokes like that it's gone on for so long that they're like out of ideas. I, I think actually we're watching that happen. What? what is what is there left like what haven't we covered you know what you make a good point and I just realized something that I think is happening they've been like you said they've been struggling to come up with ideas for so long that they've been like really like working it to the bone and then COVID came along and it gave them like a free pass that they can like skate along because COVID is a big medical thing yeah and they're just using that rather than having to write any storylines. And they're probably all exhausted. Cause like, and they're just like floating away on COVID. Cause like in the episode that aired on Tuesday or Thursday, nothing happened. There was nothing, there was nothing going on. There was, they were never in the, they, they don't spend any time in the OR because it's closed due to like COVID stuff. Like they took it. They're like, okay, we have this free pass. We're going to write COVID in. We're going to whatever. It needed to be a portion and then still have some of it that feels like Grey's Anatomy. I feel like I'm watching just another medical show that happens to now be covering a pandemic. It's just two people in a room talking. And it's just a different room with different people in it. The most interesting part of Grace is like the relationships and the talking, but it needs to be stimulated by something occurring. It can't just be them talking in a room with nothing else happening. Well, that's what I was going to say is that the stuff that like the conversations that they're having aren't even like, they're not even saying anything. They're about nothing. They're the simplest like one of them will be like, how are you feeling? And the other one will be like, I don't know how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? <laughs> like, right. what? Like, right. Th- that, that one, that one scene, which I know is some type of foreshadowing, but where Bailey oh, my God. and says like, no, mom, I can't come see you. It's a dangerous virus. And there is no vaccine. That last scene where Karasik is like, shuddering and shivering wrapped in a blanket in a, in the corner in the dark he's a he's a nationally or if not world renowned surgeon and he's half dying of covid in a dark corner wrapped in a blanket and he's not calling anybody <laughs> it's they've it's i've they've lost it yeah it's horrible what's crazy to me is how quickly it changed to like quickly my thoughts on it changed yeah I'm not I'm not like a crazy diehard Grace fan but I have been watching it pretty consistently for many years right and always thought it was like a good enjoyable 
I yes thought it had another five years in it yes and these few episodes of this season have so drastically shifted it's like it's exactly what you said that like it's like a parody because it's it's like what's happening now is what people who have never watched Grey's think Grey's is like because I was a person who like last year I thought like people who criticize the show for being on too long or people who haven't watched it because I think it's just as good now as it was like then, you can't say that anymore. I tried the soda. It's, it's, it's normal. Oh, thank God. When I saw it in the store, I literally was like so close to like bursting into tears. Like, hold on, stop for a sec, because I feel like you should explain this to our listeners. (laughs) Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) This is something we would normally leave in, but this feels like a very pivotal moment in your life. So I drink a a, a weird soda. I drink diet orange sun-kissed soda. That's the soda I love. I drink it every day. I love it. It's the only one I really like. I always like diet soda, but that is the one I get. And recently Canada Dry makes sun-kissed like, I guess they're changing their branding. Like they're getting rid of the diet branding They're So like their, their ginger ale. And then the sun kiss that I drink no longer says diet, but has a new like outside look and says sun kissed zero sugar. <laughs> Last night you texted me in a state of pure terror. Because I told you, I was like, if this, if this is like different, tastes different and like is a different, like, I don't, I truly was not sure what I was going to do, honestly. Like I, I. 2020 cannot, cannot. I don't know what they were, th- like, what are they doing? Like, did they have to do it in 2020? I know I would have like, preferred this, the mental anguish that this put me through because then the, the suspense and anticipation, because then I get it from the store. Now I don't know if it's changed, like if the formula is different and now tastes different. So like, but of course I get it from the shelf. I can't go home and try it. It's got to be cold. And I, and, and now, especially I want to make sure it's really cold because I don't want anything to skew what it might taste like. So like I, it was so stressed. And then I put one in the freezer and I accidentally left it in the freezer for, I didn't even tell you this part. I left it in the freezer too long and it froze up. So I had to start over and put a new one in the freezer. And then I tried one last night that was from the freezer and it tasted right, but it was a little weird. And I couldn't tell if it was like a mental thing or if it was actually different. And then this morning I tried one from the fridge because it's been in the fridge now since last night. And it is the same. It's still, my fucked up head is still like convincing myself that it's a little different, but I don't think it is. I think it's the same. There's also some residual trauma there because as we've discovered recently, we both have a history of things that we love. Yes. I don't know if this might be a universal experience that we just don't know about. Yeah. You guys send us an email or something. Yes. Let us know. Because everything. I'm talking about sheets um the favorite socks that i wear my favorite eyeshadow my favorite perfume like everything gets discontinued i i i i I can't even the the popcorn my the popcorn yes i'm telling you this is how 
Alexa, there have been at least the very least 30 things in my life that I absolutely love that have been discontinued. This must be a universal experience. There's no way it just happens to us and like our family. It's so distressing. I'm just so, I'm ha- I'm relieved that it's not different. I also hate it. Like I hate the way it looks. Like it used to have like, the box used to have like little bubbles on it, like carbonation bubbles. And like, it looked a certain way and it said diet and it had more orange. And now it's like a blank white box that just says sun-kissed zero sugar in purple for some reason, even though it's like, I- Honestly, like how dare they? So while you work through that mentally and emotionally- <laughs> Tell me what you thought about The Queen's Gambit. We both watched it recently Mm -hmm. because it seems like everyone's watching it and we thought we can't wait until six months later. We better get on it now. So we did. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. Yeah, me too. I did like it. I did like it. And I think it was sort of made for people to like. Like I I think Mm. the thing that struck me, so we've talked about, before how like in literature and in movies and stuff like that like most stories are about like the hero's journey like Mm. that's like an archetype in literature and in stuff that exists this show in particular is one of the most stark like rigid examples like that I've ever seen this story essentially follows the path of like the archetypal hero's journey like to an insane level like to the point where I actually feel like the show is weirdly segmented into the beginning and then like the call to action and the middle and then like the derailment like literally every episode is like a portion of the hero's journey you know what's interesting about that is a I think you're absolutely right yeah and also like that's an example, at least to me, of how you're like the classes you've taken on mm-hmm. film and the studying you've done because you view things through uh, like a critical eye Yeah, that I think a lot of people aren't, well, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not like, I like don't have the energy to even yeah. realize that as I'm watching it. Yeah. And it's something that's so natural to you. This was glaring. Like this was like. You're so right. It was just to preface mo- like 90% of stories that have a central protagonist can be like tracked in this way. Most people have, that's how stories are written. That's like a way, that's just like the way stories are written. But this show has every portion and it's broken down into each episode to the point where when she when the episode that really hit me was when Beltic comes back to her house and is going to teach her how to be better like how to prepare for matches and like learn that I watched that episode I'm like what is going on I'm like this is there's a classic story I can't remember it but there's a story where a hero has to like battle someone at the end of a journey and they have to like learn specific skills from like different people so that they're like fully formed to fight whoever at the end 
Yes, that's literally right. what happens in the Queen's Gambit. She has the the stuff with Beltic where he teaches her about preparing and not being so improvisational, even though that's her skit. Her skill is that she doesn't think too much, but he's like, you really should be studying and like preparing for matches, thinking about different outcomes. So she learns that from from him. Then she goes to Benny, and Benny teaches her how to be quicker and like um, think and different. Not get, like, too wrapped up in her head. Totally. And not get so discouraged when she loses and like when she thinks she might lose, like how to think quicker and make snap decisions and not, I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, this show is showing a hero's journey to an insane level. And then she has her fall from grace and she has the bender and she gets discouraged and doesn't want to do it. And is it, is, is drinking all the time in a state of disarray. And then Jolene comes from the orphanage and brings her back up, gives her her confidence back. They all rally behind her at the end. It, It was insane to me that it was such a structurally like rigid example of that I wonder if that's part of what because you know we did talk about this briefly about how like we knew the ending exactly from the very beginning exactly and I wonder if that's part of what actually made it more enjoyable in a time like this where everything is so unpredictable. Totally. So I actually pulled a little quote from an article. USA Today had an article that said, the Queen's Gambit may be good TV, but it's unfulfilling storytelling. I disagree with the title, but the beginning says, for a show about chess, a game that depends upon your ability to do something your opponent does not anticipate, the Queen's Gambit sure telegraphed its ending, which is exactly what we said. Yeah. You, the second you, The second she starts playing chess you know she's going to end up beating Borgoff at the end yeah and that's an interesting article because it sounds like they're phrasing that as a negative but yeah I- the te- the title is incredibly negative and I think it was what made it so because it says it's cutesy and saccharine and entirely predictable but it's also but also it's tv that people want right now according to the streaming service the queen's gambit was watched by 62 million households in its first 28 days the most ever scripted limited series on netflix there were also a bunch of moments where i thought it could take a a real turn and was so relieved when it didn't when she first totally. when she the and she first started going downstairs to um to you know like empty the erasers yes i I was a little nervous mm-hmm. that 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 older man was gonna like yeah I don't know what right I, I just was it, really it's a weirdly like idyllic universe like where she everybody she meets is like there to help her she meets Mr. Scheibel and he introduces her to chess and teaches her how to do it and helps her become like what like the beginning part he serves the um mm. oh meeting the mentor maybe meeting the mentor is a stage in 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 the journey and that and that's mr scheibel he like introduces her to the world shows her that she can be good at it and she is interested in it and then it she crosses the threshold once she leaves the orphanage and then really enters the world of chess completely and, and and then she tests allies and enemies. She meets all the people. She first has the the match with Beltic where she wins. So like he at first is posed as an enemy, but then he ends up being a friend towards the end. It was it it was very comforting and nice to know like exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was so thankful 
for that photo that she and Mr. Scheibel took together when she went back years later and it was hanging up on the board with all her articles. That was so sad. Yeah. I was so, so, so thankful that she had that photo to take. That was so sad. And it also made me sad. Like when they're at his funeral and she's like, I still owed him $10. You didn't give him the $10. So like, I was like, it was upsetting that it was like a loose end, but also night. I don't, it was. Can I tell you something sort of (laughs) odd? Yeah. But that actually felt extremely personal to me because you know, when you're a kid and your school has you walk around selling like Christmas candy and wrapping paper. Um, I went to one of my neighbor's houses to, to do that. Mm -hmm. And she ordered, I don't know what it was at the time, maybe two rolls of wrapping paper or something. It was $5 (laughs) and she gave me the $5 and I don't remember exactly what went on, but for whatever reason, like the order never got placed or this or that. And, and basically I owed her $5. She passed a number of years later. Her, her, I knew her daughter, she was a couple of years older than me. And she passed at like a fairly young age, a few years later. And every so often it pops into my head that she gave me $5 and I never. Oh, wow. Paper. And so that moment in the show was a little like, wow. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, it's like nice and sad at the same time. It's funny yeah. you say that because now that I think about, because hearing you say that it happened to you and like your thoughts on it, it actually makes me like it even more because I was interested by the way she says it because she doesn't I mean obviously I know she's not going to have like a deep emotional thing she has it later when she goes back and sees that he was following her career but when they're at the funeral she's very like apathetic she's not she's sad but she's not crying or anything like that and even the way she says I feel bad I owed him ten dollars when I first heard it, I was like, wow, so like cold. It seemed like it would make her sadder. But now that you just told your story, it actually makes it more, it seems like what the way she said it was the way she should have said it. Yeah. And I also maybe would say rather than apathetic, I would say detached. Yeah. Because I think there's actually an enormous amount of emotion under there. Yes. She in in a lot of moments isn't able to access it and we've seen sort of the trauma behind why that's probably the case yeah and then other instances in her life that have been really deeply upsetting where she also wasn't able to access that emotion so that uh, that does i think add more perspective to it totally it, it makes it it makes my heart ache for her it does it did then and now it does even more now that I like understand why it was said in that way. I don't really have too much else to say. The only other thing I want to say is on a much lighter note, the set design. Beautiful. It was her, her outfits. Yeah. I I want them all. I want to like, I want to be her. She is so cool, but one of the most beautiful parts is when she goes to Russia. When they're at the end, that room they're in where they have the match. Wow. It's so cool. It feels 
like that moment is supposed to like it feels so grand beautiful and like I love when they're like when she's going there and the some voiceover I guess it's like somebody on the radio like talking about the match or something and they're talking about how the pieces are all handmade and the boards are like made what they're talking about like the material of the boards and the pieces and I thought it was funny they talk about that and it's it reminds me when Benny and um, Beth are at the championship in Ohio or wherever they are. And, and they're talking about how like, he's like, this is the greatest match in America. And like, we're playing with plastic pieces. What it was a nice contrast, the way Russia's depicted in this as taking chess so seriously, the way that their, their grandiose world championship on a level that she hasn't experienced yet even playing at the high level she was in the unit in the united states yeah there's such a it's held in such high regard totally and it and the and the show does a really nice job through set design and through lighting and stuff of making it feel like it's important in at the end i also noticed that the whole show too had a certain like visual quality to it. And I don't have enough of like a yeah. film vocabulary to be able to talk about it really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way I would put it is like almost like it had a filter on it, but it, it all, it does have um, like sort of like a visual softness to it and a little bit of um, sort of desaturation, but in yes. a beautiful way that made everything almost like ever so slightly pastel. But I also- really but also incredibly polished and, yes. and and clear and crisp and clean. So like it had that like older quality to what you're saying. Like, I think it was tint and saturated. I think it's color is what is mostly playing into that. But then it's also shot so clearly well shot that it makes elevates it further even yeah it was almost like that um (laughs) you know that tiktok i sent you the other day about like oh about baroque photos yes i guarantee you that if we were to go back and watch it there are a number of moments where you could pause it and it looks like a painting yeah it's like picturesque yeah soft rounded shadows yeah and the highlights yeah very cool. I really love that. Yeah. It was a really good show. I really liked it. I, I, I told you, I texted you after like the first, cause the first episode is, it starts a little slow. Like the first episode is really nothing like the rest of the episodes one. Cause they got to give you background as to like how she got where she is and stuff. Um, but I can't believe how riveting they made chess feel when she goes to that first tournament in in Kentucky like I was like this is like the most exciting television I've watched in a long time and she's literally playing chess in a gymnasium also like the number of times that we had just like a still straight on shot of her expressionless and wide-eyed totally yet somehow it worked and we wanted to see it again and again (laughs) totally I did read that apparently all the chess that they were doing was legitimate like if you were to pause and look at the boards you would they were really playing they were taught to to like really play a game they weren't just moving pieces and I wondered if she played chess before that or not I wonder because I can't I don't think she would have been able to like properly play that part if she didn't have a fairly deep understanding of chess. Yeah. Then again, I know nothing about it. So like she could have fooled me, but, but I'm sure many people who watched it do 
do know about it. Um, it's almost I, like I've oh. actively avoided learning anything about chess. It's I, I somehow knew so much about chess going in. I don't know from just pop culture and stuff. Like I knew, I knew about how like there are different types of chess players. There are aggressors and like passive people. And then like, I know that there's openings with names that they talk about very frequently. Like I knew that that was the case. <laughs> I don't, but then, like I told you, I didn't know how the pieces moved. Some stuff I, I knew. Know how you somehow like gained all that information without learning how, like how, in what scenario are you not learning how to play chess, but also somehow around that much information about it? I, well, there's an episode of House that really, there's he's it's seriously that's like mostly where it comes from because he's obsessive so like everything is talked about with such thorough nature that like he's treating a world-class chess champion and he's a prodigy it's a kid that's really amazing at chess and so like he spends a lot of time playing with him talking to him that's very up his alley so and I've seen that episode like five times so I guess I know it from that what can I say somehow I've learned a lot about chess passively without ever knowing how to play nor I don't think I've ever played in my entire life there's something about playing chess that is so deeply unappealing to me and this is not to insult people who do play it because I think you're amazing and I'm in awe of you you people who play chess but the amount of mental effort and strategizing that goes into being good or even great at chess. I wonder if this plays into your competitive thing. See, because to me, this seems very appealing. Like the like this watching this show made me want to learn and play chess. Like the fact that I could potentially spend hundreds and hundreds of hours learning how to play chess, and then an additional hundreds or even thousands of hours like really you know like learning the intricacies to become good at it and then spend x amount of time playing someone and lose uh, oh, that there is so the the investment up front as compared to like the return on that investment i can't i <laughs> See, I think it's very interesting to me. Like it made me want to learn how to play. (laughs) Like thinking about all the ways and like strategy and like trying to outsmart the person you're playing against. Oh yeah, that's totally up my alley. I would love that. that. No, I I don't want, uh, all I want is for people to be who they are and things to be what they are. So the idea that I have to strategize against someone else's brain and what we're really doing is sitting there and trying to outsmart each other is just so deeply unappealing to me. It's a game. With that, said, with that yeah. said, I think good and great and masterful chess players are absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, geniuses. Yeah, it's like a an elite game to learn and play. <laughs> oh gosh, I think all that's right, all guys. I have. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us yes. as we analyze <laughs> a game we know nothing about. Yes. If you'd like to send us an email, hit us up at ticketspleasepodcast at gmail.com. You can look for us on social media, but we haven't posted a damn thing yet. So good (laughs) luck to you. And uh, we'll see you next week. 